Thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication. Thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for allowing me the privilege of bringing God's Word to you. I'll invite you in your Bible to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Unlike uh, most of the preaching at Cornerstone, this is not an expositional message per se. We won't be camped out here in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, it might be a little while before we get to that. But I promise you we'll, we'll come through this portion of God's Word. It will be one of the focal passages. But we're talking about biblically healthy church members. Biblical church membership. Just as a very quick recap, because the two messages are connected, and these two messages lay the foundation for the winter seminar that I hope many of you have already committed to be a part of, Leaders Friday nights and Church Family and Leaders Saturday morning. Um, this, these messages are intended to, to lay a foundation. But just recapping from last week, just to refresh your memory, last Sunday I preached the message on biblically healthy churches. Reminding you that, that biblically healthy churches have made three basic essential commitments. At least three essential commitments. Number one, a commitment to exalting the Lord. That is first and foremost in the life of a biblically healthy church. But also a biblically healthy church is committed to equipping the people of God. His people. And we expounded upon that last week. But then also, a biblically healthy church is committed to engaging the world in missions and evangelism. And we spoke about that last week. So now as we move further, we, we narrow the focus. Not just talking about the body of Christ in general, the church in general, but we're talking about you. We're talking about me. We're talking about church members. And, and, and what does it mean, according to the Word of God, for a person to be a biblically healthy church member. What does a biblically healthy church member look like? And so as we look in the Word of God, think of it as a spiritual mirror. Hold it up before yourself and ask yourself, be brave enough, be daring enough to say, does this reflect me as a member of this church? And I realize we have some guests. Praise the Lord for each one of you. And I trust that if you are not a member of this church, you're a member somewhere else actively involved. And so this would still apply to you. Because wherever you are a church member, you want to be a biblically uh, healthy church member. So ask this question also. As you are reflecting from the Word of God, ask this question. How, how can you, an individual church member of a local church, contribute to the success and to the spiritual health and to the vitality of your church. Have you taken ownership of Cornerstone? Church, Cornerstone members? And guests, have you taken ownership of your respective church? Do you understand that the success and the health and the vitality of the church is not the primary responsibility of the pastor or pastors or leaders? It's us. It's the members. Healthy churches are made up of healthy church members. And so I want to just reflect that to you because biblically healthy churches are made up of biblically healthy members who, first of all, give evidence of authentic Christian conversion. I read this in one of the sources that I used this week in preparing for this particular message, a book called Church Membership by Jonathan Lehman. I thought it was interesting. One of the things that he shared, and I'd like to read it with, to you in his words, 
He says, now Satan uses different devices in different locations to undermine Christ's kingdom. A favorite device of his in the West is cultural Christianity. The American brand of cultural Christianity results from well-intended adults handing out the candy of cheap grace to five-year-olds and 25-year-olds alike. You ask them if they want to be with mommy and daddy in heaven or pressure them into walking an aisle. The point is, you play on their fears, emotions, and appetites in order to get quick, unconsidered professions of faith. Then you immediately affirm those professions as authentic. The European state church brand, on the other hand, is much more civilized. Cheap grace comes with a birth, birth certificate. The genius of this device in both locations is that it allows Satan to inoculate their host with, uh, against real Christianity. It's nearly impossible to share the gospel with a cultural Christian because he already gives lip service to it. Yes, I believe that. So when we're talking about an authentically, biblically healthy church member, number one, they give evidence of authentic Christian conversion. They are truly regenerated by sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, you remember that discourse between uh, Jesus and dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Those are not just pretty religious words. Jesus was talking about an authentic, dynamic, spiritual, divine transformation of a person. And unless you have experienced that, you won't have any hope of seeing heaven according to the Son of God. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes what actually transpires when a person chooses by faith to follow Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you remember this passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Listen, there is a radical transformation in you as a person the minute that you sincerely choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to follow him. Biblically healthy church members are first and foremost authentic believers who have listened, confessed and, and repented of their sins, who have professed absolute faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and have committed, listen now, and have committed to follow him obediently as the Lord of their lives for the rest of their days. Folks, that goes far beyond what most churches require of a person to give evidence of their salvation and then to become a member. Listen, anything less than that or anyone less than that should never be considered for membership in a biblically healthy church. So not only does being truly regenerated by sincere faith in Jesus Christ give evidence of our authentic Christian conversion, but those who are humbly submitted to believers' baptism. Those who are humbly submitted to believers' baptism. You say, well, really? Is baptism such a big deal? It was to Jesus. It was to the Son of God. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them 
One of the first things that Jesus said would happen in the life of a true convert is that they would be baptized. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Was baptism a big deal to the early church? You better believe it was. In Acts chapter 2 verse 37, in that powerful Pentecost message, the apostle Peter was preaching. And it was cut into the hearts of the people. And in verse 37 it says, in chapter 2 of Acts, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Turn. Don't just feel guilty for your sins. Turn your back on your sins, on your sinful ways. Turn to Jesus. I'm adding that. But it's true. Repent. That's what repent means. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Further in that chapter in verse 40, as Peter has continued to address the crowd, in verse 40, listen to what it says. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Was baptism a big deal for Jesus? Yes, it was. Was baptism a big deal for the early church? Yes, it was. Baptism as an ordinance of the church ladies and gentlemen, does not save an individual. It's not the waters of the baptismal pool that regenerate you and transform you. It is the faith that you put into the Son of God by the grace of God that saves you. But let me tell you something. It was important enough to the Lord and to the early church and to Christians who believe in the Bible today because it is a wonderful, a powerful Symbolic declaration of our spiritual regeneration and conversion. Listen, this is not just some act that the church goes through simply to amuse people. When a candidate comes before the congregation and submits to the baptismal waters, they're saying, whether they speak it or not, they're saying by that very act, something gloriously wonderful has transpired in my life. I'm not the person that I used to be. I'm a brand new person in Christ Jesus I'm not a child of the devil anymore. Hallelujah. I'm a child of the King of Kings. Amen? And this should be a wonderful time of celebration. Evidence of authentic Christian conversion is certainly submitting to believers' baptism, but it goes on before that, beyond that. There's more evidence, and it, it, it comes to demonstrating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the, that the Spirit of God will generate spiritual fruit in you. You don't do this on your own. It's not something you conjure up. It's not emotional. It's not ta talent or, or anything on your own. It's the work of the Spirit of God in the heart of a genuine Christian who has been truly converted by the power of the Gospel. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and, and, and long-suffering, self-control against which the law has no control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Biblical churches, biblical churches should be good fruit inspectors because they seek evidence in the member's life of genuine salvation. They look for evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a Christian before even determining whether or not they're qualified to be a member of the church. Look for the fruit. Do you see the love consistently? Do you see the peace, the joy, the goodness, the faithfulness? 
Do you see self-control and meekness? Do you see evidence? Is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of that person who makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and seeks membership in the church? The church that I grew up in and had my first spiritual experience, I guess you would say, that I grew up in was like most Baptist churches then and many Baptist churches today. They would vote a person into membership as soon as they walked down the aisle and claimed to believe in Jesus Christ. No questions asked, no interviews, no searching of the person's life, no, no considering evidence of true conversion. Hallelujah, take a vote, take a vote. You know, shame on our Southern Baptist Convention that we put so much emphasis on bodies and buildings and budgets that we overlook the very criteria that the Scripture sets forth for what makes a true church member, a biblical, healthy church member. Another evidence that you should look for, those who are genuinely committed to following Jesus Christ daily. Did you hear as I walked you through the gospel presentation there? Sure, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You confess your sins. You repent of your sins. And you profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And many times that's where the formula stops. A lot of the big arena crusades or the evangelism endeavors, all they want people to do is confess your sins and repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, you're saved. Join the church now. Believe it or not, one of the most important elements of the true gospel is commitment. It's commitment. A commitment to radically change the direction of your life and the priorities of your life. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23, If any man or woman come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You say, oh, he's talking about preachers and missionaries there. Oh, no, he's not. He's talking about every young person and every adult, every man, every woman, every person of every race, every culture who comes to Christ. He says, be willing to deny yourself. Take up your cross every day. Be willing to follow me. Sacrifice whatever may be called upon to be faithful to me. Then you are a true disciple. God help us. Fulfilling up the roles of our churches that people that don't even come close to looking like a disciple of Jesus Christ. Where's my conviction based on the teachings of the Word of God? No one, no one who falls short of the qualifications of a disciple should ever have their name on the roster of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Because we are disciples. Jesus didn't call us just to be religious club members. Oh, listen, it would do us well to make a commitment to lead our lives in such a way that we live out the words of that old hymn that says, take up your cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom you. Surrender your all today. Biblically healthy church members are also those who actively participate in the life of the church, not just give evidence of genuine conversion. But another characteristic of biblically healthy church members, those who actively participate in the life of the church. You remember from last week, we talked about one of the commitments of the biblically healthy church is to exalt God. Lift up the name of our Savior. Give glory to God in everything that we do, whether we eat or we drink or work or we play or worship or whatever we do, God gets the glory. 
heaven forbid that we be thinking about me, myself, my wants, my desires, my pleasure, my comfort. God forgive us. We've lost sight of why we're on this earth. We're not here on this earth to get rich. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're not here to build a kingdom. We're here to worship the King of kings and to glorify Him and to advance His kingdom for His glory with every breath that we have. Every born again believer in Jesus Christ who calls him or herself a member of a church is not biblically healthy unless worship is number one in their life. And it amazes me the excuses that people can offer why they don't want to be in church worshiping God. And I'm thinking, don't tell me. Tell the one who's looking for you. And he's noticing your absence. And he notices that other things and other people take a priority over him on Sunday morning. Listen, you don't have to explain to the preacher. You better do some explaining to the, the one who gives you breath and causes your heart to beat every day. Biblically healthy church members are actively participating in the life of the local church. Everything talks about the church, or I would say primarily, the majority of the references to church in the New Testament are talking about the local gathering of the congregation. There are references to the universal church, but also the majority of their references, when they talk about the church, they are addressing specific congregations, whether they be at Ephesus or Corinth. He's talking about specific churches and one of the ways that we actively participate in the life of the local church is by participating in the worship gathering. That's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 24. Forsake not this assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You understand? You're not responsible for me being here on Sunday mornings. I'm happy to say that in the 31 years that I've been blessed and privileged to be your pastor, Jan hasn't had to argue with me to get me to come to church. Not yet. But <laughs> I want to be here. I want to participate. I want to worship God. Nor should I have to stoke you like those old hot shots we use to get cows to run up a ramp, you know, give them electrical shock. <laughs> Heaven forbid that we need some kind of a shock to get us out of bed, to get us over to church to worship God. Something's wrong if that's not a desire in your heart. But also using spiritual gifts that God has given to us now, we get to 1 Corinthians 12. Well, some of you think, well, I turned there two years ago. It seems like it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And you say, how in the world? Yes, there were people that were coming into the church at Corinth that had strange spirits, demons. And they would speak negatively of Jesus. Paul says, pointing out, listen, anybody that talks negatively or even curses Jesus, he says, that's not the Spirit of God. They are not a child of God. He's just delineating there. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can't truly call Jesus. You can go through the motion of making the words come out of your mouth, but you can't truly, in your heart, call Him Lord unless the Holy Spirit has brought you to that point of conviction, conversion, and Jesus is truly the Lord of your life. 
Now these are the diversities, are, are, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, and it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now let, just hang on to that verse 7. Because every spiritual gift that God gives to believers is not for the benefit of that individual. Whatever your spiritual gift may be, it's not for your glorification. It's not so people brag on you. It's for the body. It's for the church. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Do you notice he keeps saying by the same Spirit? It's just one, the Holy Spirit. The only giver of spiritual gifts is the Spirit of God. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, verse 10. To another the working of miracles, to, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Next Saturday in our winter seminar we will talk about spiritual gifts and we'll, I'll, I'll take time to delineate some of these and make some ex explanations that will help you to understand and appreciate your spiritual giftedness. But we're going to move on. But look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. What is the spiritual gift? What, what do you say, preacher, is a spiritual gift? Isn't that what the Charismatics have or the Pentecostals only? No, ladies and gentlemen, every born again, truly converted, biblically healthy church member has been given at least one spiritual gift. Some, more than one, but at least one. What is the spiritual gift? The spiritual gift is a supernatural, or sovereignly endowed ability that is given to believers, true believers, by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. It's for building up the church. And let me tell you something. Every true believer is going to actively participate and engage in the life of the church because there's nowhere else that you exercise your spiritual gift. It's in the context of the other believers. You want to see your spiritual gift flourish? Be in church. Actively involved in church. Using that spiritual gift. You want to find satisfaction in your life as a follower of Christ? Get involved in church. Be actively, effectively being used by God with the gift that He has given to you. You know, anyone claiming to be a Christian and not active as a member in a local fellowship, has good reason to question their salvation. You know people, and I do too. Family members, friends. And I'll, they'll argue with you till the cows come home. I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I've had it with church. I'm done with church. I don't need to be in church. I can worship God wherever I am. Sure, you can worship God outside of church. You absolutely can. But do you understand you go against the grain of the teaching of the Word of God that calls for church members to be actively involved in the life of the church? You'd have a hard time convincing any biblical student of the Word of God that you are truly a Christian and you're not actively involved in church. You have a good reason to question your salvation. The same principle applies to people who are church members and, and, and on the church roll and rarely or sporadically in attendance. You know, one, one writer I read, he said that the term inactive church member, inactive church member is an oxymoron. <laughs> if you 
are a pattern of being inactive and you call yourself a church member, you're probably not even a Christian. One writer claimed that this is an oxymoron. I say, I'm with you there. A biblically healthy church member, listen, will consistently, actively be involved in the life of the church, using their spiritual gifts on a regular basis to build up and edify and strengthen the church. Also, participating in the life of the church means engaging in the process of discipleship on a consistent basis. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but let me just ask you, and you ask yourself, are you actively involved in a process of discipleship within the local church? If you're not, you're out of the will of God. Simple as, simple as that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You may be familiar with this. Talking about Jesus, he said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. And we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's right there. After your conversion, after you've come to Christ by faith, you've joined the church. You don't say, okay, give me that certificate. I'm going to go live my life like I want to. I'll be back when it's convenient. I'll be back when, when the weather's better. I'll be back when I have a notion to come back. I just need that certificate. Yeah. You know, when I do weddings, I fill out a certificate of marriage. And, you know, it's nice to have sometimes you need to give evidence that you are married, you know. You come to my house and you want to sleep with that pretty gal, you better have a marriage certificate. No, I'm just, but, but, but you know, you, you, that marriage certificate is paper. That's not the relationship. That paper can't qualify the relationship. A church membership certificate is just a piece of paper. A church roll is just a piece of paper. Church membership, biblically healthy church membership is a vibrant, dynamic, ongoing, consistent relationship with the Son of God. And you live it every day. You're not just a church member on Sundays or Wednesdays. You are a church member and you represent this congregation and you represent the kingdom of God at work, at school, at play, out in the community, wherever you go. And as ambassadors of Christ, we need to take note. The responsibility of all of us is to constantly be engaged in Bible study. And I'm glad to say here at Cornerstone, we offer a number of opportunities for you as believers to be involved in growing we offer it from the babies all the way to the oldest adults. Consistently, there are a number of Bible study group opportunities for any of you to be involved in. And you have Sunday morning, before worship, Sunday afternoon, 
We have team kit for the kids. We have uh, equip hour for the adults. We have, we have uh, home groups, Bible study. We have men's Bible study groups. We have other opportunities for people to come together and be discipled, not to mention your own time of personal engagement in the Word of God. Actively participating in the life of church also means all members are responsible for re- supporting the church. All members are responsible for supporting the church. Did did y'all hear that? In the ancient Greek, all means everybody. All God's chilling. There's not a select group of saints that God depends on to carry the weight of the responsibility of the church, you all. If your name is on the roll of this church or some other church, it's your responsibility to support the church in worship, in prayer. One of our core values is prayerful dependence. In the book of Acts, there's that 120 were praying and waiting on the Spirit of God. They were praying. And as the the early church was getting started, they faced uh, faced opposition and, and they were facing persecution. What were they doing? They were praying. They were calling upon the name of the Lord. Listen, prayer is absolutely essential. And when we have these moments of prayer and worship, we are giving you opportunity to participate and support the church in your prayers. Support the church also in your presence. Be there. Be there. Goodness gracious, some of the excuses I hear ought to be on America's funniest home videos of people why they can't come to church. I want you to go back to Roxburgh with me up to 607 Coleman Road and let, you, let me introduce you to my 91-year-old dad. And I'm going to tell you something. From the time that I was a baby, as far back as I can remember, every time the doors of that church were open, O.C. Martin was there. And now 91 years young, every time the doors of that church are open, O.C. Martin is there. He's the oldest member of the church. Not just for the Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Shoot, even at the youth, they're having a hot dog social. There's my dad, 91 years old. (laughs) He does like to eat. Especially if they have desserts. Listen, seriously. Sunday after Sunday, I see dedicated church members coming into this building in wheelchairs and on walkers, motorized chairs. They're not here out of some legal obligation. They're not here because somebody's browbeating them. They're here because they love the Lord and they love this church. How dare we offer up weak, flimsy excuses as to why we're not going to be in church serving the Lord and fellowshipping with the believers. We are responsible to support the church in service. Be involved in the ministries of the church. Be involved in the mission of the church. You help to make the church strong. And your absence and your lack of participation is is, is like a leech to a physical body sapping the strength and the vitality out of the church. And be also supporting faithfully the church financially. Y'all knew I'd sneak that in there, didn't you? (laughs) You know what the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, just a few pages up from where we were in chapter 11, 
verse 16, Paul's addressing that church at Corinth. In verse six, uh, chapter 16, rather, chapter 16, verse 2. He says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, storing up as he, has, as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. You see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, you're giving to the church. It's important. Don't let it be a knee-jerk reaction. Don't let it be a spontaneous thing. Get the church, offering place, start coming out. Oh, that's right, the offering. Huh? Look down and you get your change purse out. You get out one of those silver copper penny or copper pennies or quarter and job. No, 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 no. Given to biblically healthy church members is planned. Planned. You don't haphazardly, spontaneously pay your, your house payment or your electrical bill with whatever you got. You plan. You better. Good luck explaining to Duke Power why you just forgot about your electric bill. They'll say, okay, sorry, click. You're in the cold. Plan, Paul says. Plan to give. In the 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each member, each person give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, I feel for our ushers. You know, now this probably doesn't happen at Cornerstone, but I have been in churches. You talk about offering time, you might as well have said it's, it's April the 15th or something like that. They hand those plates down there and people look out and clear <laughs> that dollar bill out there and well, I hope you're satisfied. <laughs> no, it's, maybe not that bad. Paul don't give grudgingly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, don't, if, you, if you don't want to give, don't. Keep it. Because you're not helping the church. You're not glorifying God. But on the other hand, Paul says, you know, don't give grudgingly of necessity. Because you think the usher is sitting there right now. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Brother Richard didn't give this. Okay, yep. You got him. Preacher be calling you. Nah, I, I'm just kidding, Richard. Just picking on him. Not, not out of necessity. Paul says, but give cheerfully. God loves cheerful givers. Ha, I think one of the most hilariously funny and joyful times ought to be the offering. People, as soon as we you know, Pastor Mark and us, now we're going to receive the offering. Everybody jump up. Hallelujah. Yay. It's giving time. It's giving time. Without the checkbook. <laughs> I don't know. We might have a heart attack. People might accuse us of being charismatic. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. It's cheerful. I need to move along because biblically healthy church members are those who authentically model God's love in the church first and foremost. Because after all, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, John 13, 34 and 35, that you love one another. He's not talking about us to outsiders here. He's talking about us to us. Brothers and sisters, disciples to disciples. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How much does Jesus love you? Wow. That puts it in perspective. So shall you love one another. Hold that up against your gossiping about a brother or sister in Christ. Hold that up about, you know, uh, running, having the preacher for, roast preacher for lunch. Hold that up against criticizing the music or criticizing another. Hold that up and ask yourself, 
What does that look like compared to what Jesus did for you and me? Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. By this all men will know that you're my disciples. Listen, the best PR piece that we have for the local community is the fact that the people around us say, man, alive, those people at that church love one another. My goodness, you'd think there's almost family. And I'm saying we is. <laughs> Pardon English. Willingly submitting out of love to church leaders and I appreciate, and I know I speak for Pastor Mark and the other leaders of the church. Man, we're so blessed to have a congregation that appreciates us and supports us and encourages us. But you know, you're just doing what the Bible says. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while he treads out grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. In other words... Pay the preacher. <laughs> no. uh, but support the leaders. Honor them. And you do. And I commend you as a congregation. But you show your love through your respect for the leaders of the church. But then also Paul talks about in Romans. And I like this passage because this, is a, this describes the essence of the body of Christ to me. In Romans, <clears throat> Paul, writing to the church at Rome, in chapter 12, listen to what he's saying here. These wonderful verses. That, that talks about the way we love one another. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, he says, For as, as, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I think we lose sight of that. I think we are so convinced that we're like Lone Ranger Christians. That we do our own. No, no, no. We are connected, interconnected, interdependent. We depend upon one another, and that's a good thing. Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. He's talking about us loving one another. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saint. Given to hospitality. Wow. That sounds like the kind of church you'd like to be a part of, right? Guess what? That's a biblically healthy church. That's the way biblically healthy church members relate to one another. Also, when we talk about modeling God's love, it also talks about caring or caringly exercising biblical discipline when needed. We have this built into our church bylaws because it's scriptural. Just as parents occasionally out of love have to discipline their children, who stray from the teachings of the parents and from the rules of the parents, and they do some things that can be harmful to themselves, parents who love their children will discipline them. Guess what? Jesus said in Matthew 18, when a brother or sister sins, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. If you love that person, that, that brother or sister in Christ, you have a God-given biblical responsibility to go to them privately and confront them in love. And he says, if, you, if they repent, you've won a brother or sister. If they refuse you, go back and get a witness or two. Come back. Same spirit. Come in love. And you confront them with that sin. If they refuse to, to repent, then he says, you bring it before the church. Unfortunately, we've had to do that. But we've had some wonderful success experiences as a result of lovingly 
bringing church members through the process of church discipline. They've repented, changed their direction, and have been a, a blessing to, to the Lord, to the church. <clears throat> it's our responsibility because we love one another. Isn't it interesting that one of the verses that we like to use the most, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we use that, and, and it's okay, it's great. But do you understand? That verse is given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the church in the process of discipline. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying to the biblically healthy church, I know this is not your preference. I know this is sometimes painful. This is awkward. But he says, I'm with you. I'm holding your hand. I will guide you through this process. Do it just like I prescribed and trust the results to me. Where two or three are gathered together doing church discipline, Jesus says, Lo, I am there with you. We need to move along because authentically modeling God's love means taking it out into the world. Heaven forbid that we would contain the love of God right here within the walls of our church or within the circles of our relationships. That's not what the body of Christ, that's not a biblically healthy church. And that's not what biblically healthy church members do. Jesus said in Luke's gospel chapter 10 verse 2, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He says, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked at the world. He says, the fields are white. Back home, people raise acres and acres of wheat. And right there at June, about Bible school time, that wheat comes ripe. Mark, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's golden, but then when it's perfectly ripe, it almost has a white hue to it. And that's when you know, get that combine fired up because we're going to have some wheat today. Uh, Jesus said, the fields are white. Souls are ready. The laborers are few, but pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out the laborers. Let me tell you something. If the fields were white under harvest 2,000 years ago, you look around at the world in which we're living today, so steeped in immorality and sin and rebellion. Let me tell you something. The fields are super white today. There are souls that are ripe and ready to be shared the gospel of Jesus Christ who will receive Jesus Christ and come into the kingdom of God. But the laborers are few. And we can't say that we love the world if we stand back and hold within ourselves the love of God from them. Biblical church members Regularly pray, fervently pray for lost people. Who are you praying for on a regular basis? That as far as you know, does not have an authentic personal relationship by faith with Jesus Christ. They're not denying themselves, taking up the cross daily and following Him. I guarantee you right now, just in that few seconds, you probably hit two, three. Names are still popping up. Faces are popping up in your mind. You can't help it. You're thinking about people you love. You're thinking about people that will break your heart to be in heaven and them not be there with you. Right now, you're thinking about people whose souls, if they die today and their heart stops beating, will find themselves in the fiery pits of hell for eternity. Are you praying for them? 
Are you calling their name out to God? You're not going to change anybody's heart, ladies and gentlemen, but God can. The first thing we need to do is get on our knees before God and cry out to Him. Shed tears as you think about that person that you know and you love burning in the fires of hell with no hope of, 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 of comfort or relief forever and ever and ever. And pray that it be God's will that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be ready to move forward. I'll close with this verse out of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, chapter 1. I hadn't really looked at it this way, but when we talk about the participation of taking the love of God out there, to a world that needs so desperately to hear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, and listen, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. He's talking to you. You and I have access to one of the most magnificent, divine, eternal mysteries of God. It was never known to man until Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, taught about the kingdom of God, died on the cross for sinful man, buried, raised in power and glory from the, from the grave, ascended to the right hand of God the Father. The greatest mystery of all of eternity. How in the world is it possible that holy and righteous God would dare to love wretched, depraved, rebellious, wicked, hell-bound sinners? But He did. But He did. Look at me. Not physically. You're nauseous. I'm saying, I am a new creature in Christ. Hallelujah! Do you understand one day I was a child of the devil? Spiritually worthless. And God in His infinite love looked upon me, chose me, chose you. And His Son died on that cross in agony to pay the price for my sins. Oh, you're looking for a motive? You've got the greatest mystery. Even the angels can't go out there and share it. It's yours and mine. And are you being a good steward with that? That's what Paul says. Faithful servants are good stewards of the gospel. Let me ask you this. What have you done with the powerful, life-transforming, eternally life-giving mystery and message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you investing it? in the lives of people who desperately need Christ. I love the church. I love this church. My greatest heart's desire as your pastor is to see Cornerstone Baptist Church emerge as a biblically healthy congregation advancing the kingdom of God through the active engagement and involvement 
of biblically healthy church members. And I pray God in His wisdom and His sovereignty and with our cooperation will make that happen. That's what the world desperately needs today. That world that we live in doesn't need big buildings. They don't need flashy programs. They don't need entertainment. They need churches that know and practice and stand on the Word of God. Biblically healthy Christians. Are you one?